Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into the topics we cover on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. We are diving deeper into cryptocurrencies right now as a digital asset. And for investors with cryptocurrencies as an alternative asset class in your portfolio, or maybe thinking about it, what are the macro fundamentals that are driving the market? We welcome right now Kevin Kelly, co-founder at Delphi Digital, that provides institutional-grade analysis on digital asset markets. And he joins us live from New York. Kevin, you just released your uh, macro outlook for the quarter. And thanks, by the way, for the exclusive write-up on Forecast News, sharing some of your insights. So what should investors be aware of right now when it comes to cryptocurrency sentiment in the market? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I think one of the big things that you know we're trying to really harp on with some of our research and our work is to try and differentiate between you know cryptocurrencies, but also get um, you know painted with a kind of this wide brush, and try and differentiate you know between you know the bitcoins of the world uh, versus you know some of these alternative crypto assets and and what you know they're trying to do and and what the different uh, factors are that are kind of driving the prices of those. I mean, this market is still very small, um, so a lot of these assets you know trade. Pretty much in line with one another, the intramarket correlations are really high, and we think a big reason for that is because there is just kind of a general misunderstanding um, of or, or a lack of awareness of kind of the differentiating factors between some of these these crypto assets versus something like Bitcoin, which you know to be honest, the way we think about it is it's almost you know more of a monetary you know phenomenon than it is you know a, a technological one. So basically, you regard Bitcoin as the monetary alternative to what we are seeing in more of the fiat markets, the traditional markets. And what you're saying is that your thesis is that Bitcoins actually should be regarded as a different asset class to other cryptocurrencies that are more, you know, either tokenized or more technology based. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we when we think about we'll, we'll focus on Bitcoin for now. When we think about Bitcoin and, and what it's trying to do, if you if you put it in this kind of global macro landscape, to your point, while well, it's going on in the, in the more fiat currency world, you know our our backdrop for fiat currencies right now is extremely vulnerable. We've got massive debt problems, not only going on in some of the emerging economies that are growing quickly, but also in some of the more advanced ones or you know the largest the world's largest economies like the U.S. And so what that means is you have massive debt loads that are, and uh, the government continues to print and issue money. You have at the same time this kind of slowing economic growth backdrop, which means, you know, if, if we're not able to grow our way out of these debts, what we think is more likely is that this kind of continues um, and goes on for some time and, and it works until it doesn't. And what that means is, you know, the risk of kind of major currency devaluation is something that we think gives, you know, Bitcoin a, a really, really strong value proposition longer term because it is, you know, this non-sovereign uh, digitally uh, native, you know, asset that isn't, you know, it's decentralized like we, we love to talk about. It's, it's not controlled by, you know, any single one person and it's not subject to, you know, monetary policy similar to the U.S. dollar is. You know, you use the term um, in, in your research, censorship resistant. I think that that's a really intriguing concept for Bitcoin, especially if you take a look at the backdrop of even the 2008 global financial crisis and what it birthed mm -hmm. for, for essentially all of us when it comes to Bitcoin. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's a really key factor to this kind of long term, you know, store value argument that we make. Um, it's because, you know, again, we were of the opinion that we're not 
Bitcoin won't necessarily become this, you know, one universal currency and that all of fiat is 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 doomed and will go to zero. I mean, there's you know long histories of fiat currencies, you know, working again for a while until they don't. And we're not saying that fiat's always going to be the way of the world. And I think we will return to this kind of sound money principle, which is what Bitcoin's really trying to tackle. Um, but that being said, you know, in the next, let's call it the next decade or so, we don't think that the U.S. dollar is going, you know, really going to go anywhere. But we do think that Bitcoin is really going to, uh, the argument there is, is, is very strong for it because of some of this, some of the qualities that it has over something like a, like gold, which is commonly held by investors to kind of hedge against not only inflation, but also, you know, you know currency devaluation. The censorship resistant aspect of Bitcoin, basically meaning that, you know, it's accessible to anybody you know, anybody can can acquire Bitcoin. It's oftentimes actually, you know, at this point now easier to do than acquiring something like gold. You actually own the Bitcoin itself. Right. So if you're investing in a gold ETF, for example, yes, you get exposure to that underlying asset. but You don't actually hold, you know, physical gold bars, or at least most people don't you know, in their home or something like that. So the censorship resistant aspect, the fact that nobody can really block you from using it, from storing it, from having it, um, is something that we certainly think is uh, is a very strong value proposition, not only for, um, you know, companies or, or long-term being an alternative kind of digital uh, reserve currency, but also for individuals. If you look at the size of the, you know, offshore, um, the, the amount of money that's stored offshore and in offshore bank accounts, again, not all of that is just malicious money. It's just a way in which, um, or I should say money held for malicious intent or trying to evade taxes or things of that nature. A lot of that is just how, you know, generations have stored wealth for a long time. And when you think about it from that perspective, the value proposition of something like Bitcoin, which can't be seized by a foreign government, the assets can't be frozen, uh, makes it, again, a really kind of strong value proposition um, and an alternative for storing one's wealth, you know, long term. And yet you don't expect a major influx of institutional investors into the crypto market. Why is that and what needs to happen to change that? Yeah, so I think I think we'll we'll. The way in which a lot of um, I'll call them crypto enthusiasts kind of think about institutional investing, and again, this is this is more kind of the world that, that a lot of us come from. Um, you know, myself, I was a U.S. equity strategist before this, so you know, my my days were filled with you know stock market analysis and talking to people who are really um, you know putting some serious capital work in the markets. And I think institutions will come in; they'll wade into this market once they kind of a understand you know the benefits that we're talking about here of this. But also getting past kind of the, the decentralized, you know, distributed ethos of the space, it's. I think it's going to be um, almost kind of a hedge against underperformance long term. Getting into something like crypto and specifically Bitcoin and, and holding a little bit of in a, in a portfolio, because when you look at the outlook for you know traditional or conventional assets over the next ten years, the next decade is expected to be very, very different than the last decade for a number of reasons. That you know we were talking about the the kind of global macro backdrop. You know, the, the debt problems that we're seeing, the possibility and the rising possibility of currency devaluation. Uh, when you look at actually the expected returns for different asset classes, like let's talk U.S. large cap stocks, right? So thinking the S&P 500, it's had an incredible run up the last decade. But when you look at the expected returns going forward, especially on a real return basis, I mean, they're pretty much, you know, sub 3% on an annual basis over the next 10 years, right? So if you're, if you think about it from a pension fund perspective or someone again, who's you know really trying to hit, trying to hit a, hit a seven to 8% return target a year, it's gonna be very difficult to generate those types of returns without going very, very far out the risk curve at a time when, you know, the market again has been, you know, really, really strong for the last 10 years. We're closing in on the longest, um, you know, economic mm -hmm. uh, cycle here. 
um, in the U.S. And so you're kind of at this inflection point where returns for traditional assets are not looking nearly as strong as they are the last 10 years. At the same time, we're likely going to have, you know, some type of recession. Um, you can argue the depth of that, but probably going to happen within the next 18 to 24 months, I would say. So it's kind of this really interesting time if you're, if you're again, in the capital market, if you're putting money to work and investing um, in, in traditional asset classes. And I think that will eventually kind of push institutions in, but I don't think it's going to be this wave of institutional money that one day comes in, um, you know, kind of all at once and really gives a bid or a boost to the crypto market. Well, it's, you know, it's hard to make that argument right now, especially in 2018 and the infamous crypto winter, which, you know, a lot of people are still digging out of. And that has just really uh, frozen a lot of the sentiment when it comes to uh, crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, but right now in the macro outlook of the global economy, we have really uh, this dovishness that seems to persist, this fear of, um, you know, a future uh, a recession around the corner. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is this kind of um, fear uh, driving uh, Bitcoin sentiment or doing the reverse? What, what is the relationship that you see in your analysis? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great question. That's a good point. I think it's it's twofold and it's almost kind of like a double-edged sword. So Bitcoin, we've talked obviously about the kind of long-term story value narrative or thesis that we have on it. But in the short term, again, as, as you start to get institutions waiting in a bit, you start getting more just sophisticated investors trading Bitcoin or getting interested in crypto. As they start to understand it, that process, it's still looked at very much so as kind of a risk on asset, right? So in the near term, when you have, you know, a, a reverse or a pivot back to more kind of dovish monetary policy, if we do end up getting some type of, you know, um, quantitative return to quantitative easing and bond buying from, from the Fed, we, that central bank kind of liquidity pump back into the system actually could be beneficial for, for Bitcoin and crypto in the near term, because again, that money pushing interest rates down, you have sovereign debt yields, you know, at historic lows right now, you're going to continue to push investors further out the risk curve, especially as they're kind of starting to get hungry for growth against, again, that, that global uh, um, slowing economic backdrop. So I think it actually could give a boost to Bitcoin because right now it does trade more so as this kind of risk on asset. But, you know, the flip side of that is that what's what's going to kind of hold it up and or could potentially prop it up in the near term could also be one of its kind of biggest long term tailwinds. Because, again, you know, the, the, the outlook for some of these traditional assets that are getting really, really bid up because of the central bank policy and because of the dovish nature of central banks, this cycle um, actually could end up being something that that really kind of allows Bitcoin to shine, you know, when the when the uh, judgment day um, comes, so to speak. But right now, you know, you have Dow historically returning 11 percent um, in equity returns on average. How does Bitcoin outperform that? Yeah, so I think and I think in the near term, the narrative that stocks the kind of Tina narrative, there is no alternative. I think that narrative stays. And I think in the near term, stocks could certainly outperform Bitcoin and the, and the rest of the crypto market um, because you do, again, have it's up against that that backdrop of a more dovish Fed um, and the potential, you know, return to either interest rate cuts, which I think are, are still, you know, being highly debated within uh, within within the equity markets and, and among economists as well. Um, also, potentially, as I mentioned, Q, the return to QE, I think stocks could outperform in the near term. What what 
what one of the things that we focus on, and I did this again, kind of, you know, doing equity strategy in the past is when you look at valuations, oftentimes people, you know, people have been talking about the stock market being overvalued for going on five years now, right? And if you were if you were five years ago, kind of calling that that warning sign and pulling yourself out of out of the equity market, I mean, you're kicking yourself at this point because it's gone on, as to your point, you know, historic run up. And so the important thing when you think about kind of valuations and where we are today is that things can always get more expensive, right? Especially as you get interest rates that can t- that, that potentially drop or, or yields that are, you know, near historic lows, that actually allows, you know, valuations or valuation multiples in the equity market um, to increase. Because again, people are, are willing to pay up more for, you know, earnings growth and, and kind of these riskier asset classes. So, you know, I definitely think that the market can continue to move higher until there is, you know, a big, uh, big kind of catalyst for a downturn. Uh, but I think what what's important that, that we stress in that macro outlook is that if you look at valuations where they are, again, very, very poor timing mechanisms, when you look at um, kind of long term, the correlation between, you know, starting valuations or valuation multiples like price to earnings ratios and the, you know, subsequent 10 or forward 10 year returns, they're actually a really good predictor for longer term, you know, uh, uh, stock market returns, right? So. In the short term, certainly can see the stock market move higher. It certainly can outperform, you know, Bitcoin, other crypto assets. Valuation multiples can continue to expand, but at a certain point, you know, they can't grow to the sky. And if you look at that kind of longer term um, history of where valuations are today compared to where they were, you know, in prior cycles and again, what those subsequent returns were, you know, that's what's kind of drawing a, a red flag for us when it comes to the equity market. If you were a mainstream investor, uh, if you were a traditional investor, if you were an institutional investor thinking about getting into the space, what are the three takeaways right now that you want to share about getting into the crypto asset market? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good question. Um, if I didn't narrow it down to three, I mean, one would probably be looking at, again, nothing operates in isolation, right? So if you looked at, if you're an institutional investor or even a, a, an individual investor, kind of looking at your portfolio, looking at um, you know, what it's done over the last, let's say, you know, decade, five years, whatever it may be, kind of reevaluating what you think those, you know, again, those expectations are going forward. And then uh, the second would probably be that you don't have to bet the house on Bitcoin. We've never told anybody to go out and entirely sell, you know, equity positions or, you know, bet their entire portfolio on Bitcoin. Um, that's certainly not something that we, that we would ever recommend, especially for an institutional investor. Um, but I do think a small allocation to this space is really starting to become, um, you know, more prevalent in some of these discussions about the possibility of taking some of the maybe alternative investing bucket and putting, you know, one or two percent in a Bitcoin or, or maybe even less um, just based on the kind of asymmetric upside potential that it does have. Um, and I think the third would just be to, you know, this isn't investment advice at all, you know, not recommending to do anything, but. I've told, you know, some friends and family who have asked me about this, you know, I, when I first learned about Bitcoin, I was starting to kind of get into this, you know, even just buying a very, very small, you know, incremental amount and playing around with it, trying to transact with it, trying to send it to people, trying to pay for things and different services. Again, there's, there's, we're, we're in the kind of early days of um, Bitcoin becoming this kind of medium of exchange. We think it'll be a store value for a long time before it really takes off as this kind of you know, universal medium of exchange that, that's accepted everywhere. But there are places in which you can use it. There are ways in which you can use it today. So kind of just getting familiar with, you know, mobile wallets and these different things that you hear people talk about when it comes to the crypto space, but maybe don't necessarily understand, just start kind of playing around with it. Um, I think once you do that and you see how, how quick, 
um, and how almost seamless, you know, this process is becoming, you can start to kind of get your head, you can wrap your head around, you know, what the long-term potential of this would be. What's difficult about that argument, and again, I said, as you mentioned, I'm in New York, so I, I sit in the U.S., you know, born and raised, you know, we've never really gone through, you know, or, or in my lifetime, never really gone through a, a major kind of currency crisis, right? So I don't know personally what it's like to be someone who's struggling with a government that's got very irresponsible, you know, not only monetary, but also fiscal policy. I don't know what it's like to sit in a, in a country like Venezuela and not really have an alternative option, right? So I think when you start to think about outside of kind of your comfort zone or outside of, you know, the, um, the environment that, that you're in, it's really, it starts to become really easy to see what the long-term value proposition of something like, you know, a, a Bitcoin would be. Thank you, Kevin. That was Kevin Kelly, CFA and co-founder of Delphi Digital. And really, thanks for those insights. Um, <laughs> macro headwinds are coming. And how do you think about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as a digital asset class, as an alternative, uh, as a hedge? So that kind of insight, really, really powerful. Thanks to Kevin, uh, who does institutional grade research on digital assets. Keep an eye for his work and more market analysis on Forecast News. Well, thank you as well for joining us on this edition of Word on the Block. I'm Angie Lau. Until next time. Thank you.